Normal broadcasting has been discontinued. Coming to you from Portland, Oregon. The sports business capital of North America. Keep your radio tuned to this frequency. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Now, your host. I tell you, I've never seen anything like that guy. Brian Berger. Well, thanks for checking out the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports. Happy New Year. Hope your 2010 is off to a terrific start. We are counting down the top 20 sports business stories of the year 2009. I know it's 2010 now, but we're looking back at 2009. We're going to give you our top 10 sports business stories according to our staff. Maybe others disagree. If you want to weigh in with your thoughts, you can always email me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com. You can say, hey, you guys got it right on the mark, or hey, dummy, you forgot about that story or the other story. We love to have your feedback, so brian at sportsbusinessradio.com. You can visit my sports business blog or download the SBR podcast on demand. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com. Become our Facebook friend. Follow me via Twitter. Go to my blog at sportsbusinessradio.com. Link to the Sports Business Radio Facebook and Twitter pages. You can follow me on Twitter at SB Radio. I'm joined in studio by our producer, Bobby Corser, and by Nathan Roach. Guys, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. So it's down to the nitty gritty here. Top 10 stories of the year 2009. And Nathan, as you said last week, there's some pretty big stories in our top 20, but really, when we get down to the top 10, these are pretty monumental stories of 2009. I would say that if anybody listens to the show or pays attention to sports business in general, you could probably guess the top three. You could Come definitely close. you can definitely guess number one. I mean, it's one of the top stories. If we were doing a top stories of the decade, this would probably be the number one story of the decade. In sports business, Ooh, in my know. opinion. We can, we can debate that one later in the show. Coming up next, stories 10, 9, and 8. And again, if you want to go back and listen to these shows, you can go onto our website at sportsbusinessradio.com, pull up the podcast. We'll also be listing these in text form on our blog. I know we had a lot of other media outlets last year kind of uh, use our top 20 stories of the year. We They link to our blog, and we're interested in seeing what our top stories were. And again, Brian at SportsBusinessRadio.com if you want to weigh in with your input. When we come back, stories 10, 9, and 8. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. This is Brian Berger from Sports Business Radio. I know many of our listeners dream of a job in the sports industry but don't know where to begin. To me, it's an easy call. Go where sports business education got its start, at the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. As the first business school in the country to offer undergraduate and graduate programs themed around this multi-billion dollar industry, the Warsaw Center offers a unique blend and strong general business training, sports business curriculum taught by industry experts, and rich out-of-classroom experiences, including real-world consulting projects, study tours, and internships. With a strong industry and alumni network and a staff dedicated to accelerating your career, the Warsaw Center has a proven track record of placing students in teams, league offices, corporate sponsors, marketing agencies, sports media, and sports shoe and apparel firms. But like any elite team, there's only a few spots on the roster. To learn more, visit sportsbusinessradio.com for a link to the center's website. The Warsaw Sports Marketing Center, 
passion, integrity, and leadership in sports business education. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. We are counting down the top 10 stories of the year 2009, sports business stories. And this is according to us, our staff here at Sports Business Radio. All right. The 10th biggest story of the year, 2009, and it's one that sent me rejoicing through the streets of Portland. I was doing cartwheels in the rain. This is Brian's number one story. Bud Selig confirmed, despite many owners trying to keep him on board, that he's going to retire at the end of his contract following the 2012 MLB season. Now, we've been on the air for almost six years. If you've listened to this show more than once, you know that I am not a fan of Bud Selig, that used car salesman from Milwaukee. I think, again, I'll say this for the millionth time, he's presided over one of the ugliest eras in Major League Baseball history. Yes, you can tell me about record attendance. You can tell me about how we have wild cards and the playoffs are historic and blah, 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 blah. But... The sport was infested with drug users, and he turned a blind eye after the 1994 season when they came out of the lockout in order to rebuild the game. So he knew that the the numbers that were being posted were false. They were done by cheaters, but he and the owners turned a blind eye because it led to people coming back to the game of baseball, coming through the turnstiles at the games, and lots of money for Commissioner Seelig making $18 million a year, and the other owners. Well, I'm, I'm surprised that there are owners that are trying to keep him around because I feel like he's kind of the face of steroids. And if I'm an owner, I, I want baseball to start over. The owners don't care. The owners are good old boys, most of them. And under Seelig, they've made lots of money. That's why Seelig is the highest paid commissioner in sports, $18 million a year. So they've said, hey, you've made us a lot of money. We'll pay you a lot of money. Again, I hate to say it, but to a lot of the owners in Major League Baseball, you know, now they act like they care that the sport is clean. But before, hey, you line our pockets. If you, Bud Selig, the commissioner, are going to put a lot of money in my pocket every year, you're the greatest. I want you to stick around. Well, it'll be interesting to see who takes over his position because if the good old boys are still in place, you have to assume that someone similar to Bud Selig, is going to come in. Well, I think they're going to definitely look from within, meaning possibly an owner, but I think they need to go way outside the box. They need to bring, and I I can't pinpoint a person right now. Brian Berger? No, it's definitely not me. But it's got to be someone who comes in with some fresh ideas, who comes in with a clean slate. And again, this isn't until 2012, and you know, hopefully Bud Selig isn't going to change his mind and go, you know, $18 million check, that's pretty good in my bank account. I'm going to stick around for a little longer. So hopefully, and again, the 10th biggest story of this year, this is Bud Selig reiterating, come 2012 when my contract ends, despite owners of baseball teams trying to get me to stay on board, I'm out of here. So let's keep our fingers crossed on that. The ninth biggest story of the year, 2009, and this could have been higher, Brett Favre, is he coming? Is he going? Is he retired? Is he playing? So he left the Jets. He said he was retiring. He did interviews. I'm done. He cried. I, I can 
look in the mirror and say, I've had a great career. I'm riding off into the sunset. But then we started hearing whispers. Is he working out for the Minnesota Vikings? Are trainers watching him? He had surgery. And before you know it, lo and behold, the team that Brett Favre wanted to go to when he left Green Bay, but Green Bay wasn't going to trade him within the division. Instead, they traded him to the Jets. He winds up with the Minnesota Vikings. And lo and behold, Brett Favre is having an MVP-type season. He's probably not going to get the MVP because Drew Brees and Peyton Manning are playing out of their minds too. But he's playing on a team that could win the Super Bowl. And he has been a ratings bonanza for the TV networks every time he's been on, especially in his games against Green Bay, his old team. And say what you want about Brett Favre. The guy gets people talking, he gets people watching, and he's good for the bottom line of the NFL. Well, yeah, he has the star power. He's one of the the last like old-school quarterbacks of, I guess you'd say, my generation, if you will. And And let's face it. The ratings wouldn't be what the ratings are, and we wouldn't be talking about Brett Favre in our top ten stories if he has if he wasn't has, having the success that he's having this season. If Brett Favre was a flop, and the Minnesota Vikings were three and ten, we wouldn't be talking about this story in the top ten. But Brett Favre was not going to come back to a team that wasn't on the cusp. The Minnesota Vikings have a great defense; they have an amazing running back in Adrian Peterson. All they needed was a quality quarterback. And you could look at that roster and say they're a quality quarterback away from making a run at the Super Bowl. So he knew what he was getting himself into. He wasn't going to come play for Kansas City or Jacksonville or Tampa Bay or someone like that. He was only going to go to a team that was on the cusp of going to a Super Bowl. We will see if it works out. But again, Brett Favre coming back and playing for the Minnesota Vikings, I think you have to label it a success for him, and you definitely have to label it a success for the NFL. His jersey, top-selling jersey in the NFL, again, just like it was last year when he changed from the Packers to the Jets. So, you know, again, say what you want about Brett Favre, but the guy is good for the business of the Minnesota Vikings, who, by the way, have sold more tickets than they've ever sold. Interest has never been higher in their games, and the NFL, again, they're loving it when – His games are shown in prime time on Sunday Night Football when they're on Monday Night Football against the Packers, so on and so forth. All right, our eighth biggest story of the year 2009. A man who, till a few months ago, was the athlete who took the biggest fall from grace of any athlete in the history of sports, Michael Vick. Michael Vick, the man who had a $130 million contract with the Atlanta Falcons, who had endorsement deals with Nike, Coca-Cola, and many others, the man who went to prison. So he got out of prison this year. He served his time. And when he got out, people said, is there going to be an NFL team that's going to take a chance on signing Michael Vick? Is there a team that's going to put up with the backlash from the PETAs of the world, the humane societies of the world, in order to sign him on the roster? And that team, in August was the Philadelphia Eagles, and they signed him to a two-year deal. And, you know, it's interesting because, really, since he joined the Eagles, outside of a, you know, a blip on the radar here and there, there hasn't been a lot of fanfare. Vic hasn't played in many games, 
and he really hasn't been part of the news. Well, yeah, I mean, he's playing behind Donovan McNabb for one, so he's already behind the game. And we talked last week about Kobe Bryant and his fall from grace, and now he's back on top. And the question is, if Michael Vick can lead a team to a Super Bowl, will Michael Vick be where Kobe Bryant and Tiger Woods may be Vic, I don't know. Vic will never lead a team to the Super Bowl. I'll go on the record saying that right now. I think he's a marginal quarterback in the NFL. He's a good backup. Um, I think it was a good decision by he and his agent to go play behind Donovan McNabb because right after getting out of prison, if you stuck this guy behind center and said, you're my starter, and you put that kind of pressure on him, I think it would have been really bad for him, A, to blend into normal society again and just function as someone who's outside of prison. But also now you're saying we're putting the pressure on you of becoming, you know, our starting quarterback. And there's a lot of pressure that goes with that. So, you know, what remains to be seen is when he's done playing with the Eagles, which could be as early as next season, um, will he go be a starting quarterback somewhere? Or is this a guy that's always going to be a backup quarterback? He'll be a, you know, a journeyman, but he's never going to be the star that many people had him pegged for when they sign him to that $130 million contract. I don't think that we're going to see the renaissance of Michael Vick like we saw with Kobe Bryant and like we may see with Tiger Woods. All right, coming up next, stories 7, 6, and 5, and then we're going to move on to stories 4, 3, 2, and our top story of the year, 2009. I know it's 2010 now, but we're looking back at our top 10 Sports Business Stories of the Year 2009. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be back. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. My guest is Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Let's go back to the year 2000. The year before you bought the Mavericks, they were 40 and 42. Fan interest was pretty lukewarm. When you bought this team, what did you see in this team? What was the potential that you saw to get them to where they are today? Probably none. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. I think the reason why we have a BCS-type system in Division 1A and elsewhere we have playoffs is that the schools in Division 1A feel that the regular season is the most important aspect of football. Read the Sports Business blog and listen to SBR On Demand at SportsBusinessRadio.com. See, I think that's the big thing. Sports Business Radio, Saturday. <laughs> Or online at sportsbusinessradio.com. The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. We are back and we are counting down the top 10 stories of the year 2009 sports business. We're now at number seven. Our seventh biggest story of the year 2009. Jimmy Johnson wins his fourth Sprint Cup title in a row. You know, guys. The most remarkable thing about this to me isn't what he's done on the track. It's that Jimmy Johnson, who dominates his sport, like Roger Federer has in tennis, like Tiger Woods has in golf. Jimmy Johnson could walk down the street in most any major American city. People wouldn't even know who he is. That's remarkable to me that someone with this kind of success is pretty much unrecognized. I think one of the reasons is, 
He's in a race car. He's in a race car. He's got a helmet on. He's not running up and down the basketball court like an NBA player like LeBron James or Kobe Bryant. You can't see his face as often. And I think NASCAR, frankly, does a pretty poor job of marketing their drivers. Some of the sponsors do a good job of marketing their drivers, but the sport of NASCAR, and we've even had other people on the show commenting the same thing, Bobby Corser, our auto racing expert and our producer of this show, uh, amazing feat that Jimmy Johnson has won four Sprint Cup titles in a row. Exactly. And it, listen, there have been other guys that have won four titles, but they've done it, you know, not back-to-back-to-back-to-back to back to back as Jimmy had. And you're right. You have to leave it to the team and the sponsor to market the drivers because NASCAR markets the sport. NASCAR doesn't market individual teams or sponsors or drivers. They market the whole package. But you're right. Jimmy Johnson can walk down the street in New York City and nobody will know him. However, he walks down the street, I don't know, maybe Mobile, Alabama, and maybe one or two guys will recognize him. That's just the way it is. Yeah, I mean, you know, you know him as the guy who races the Lowe's car. Yep. And I think Lowe's has gotten a great bang for their buck with that relationship. I mean, you know, you talk about sponsor association, whether it's for a bowl game in college football or for a driver in NASCAR. You know, I think Lowe's and Jimmy Johnson have become synonymous with each other just like kind of Tiger Woods and Nike have become synonymous with each other. And uh, it's just amazing to me. You would think at what point, how many in a row does Jimmy Johnson have to win before we start seeing him be a mainstream star? And by all accounts, you know, I know we can't invest a lot. We don't really know athletes. We don't really know celebrities. But by all accounts, Jimmy Johnson's keeping his nose clean. He's pretty safe bet to invest in from an endorsement standpoint. He's a pretty good-looking guy, and, you know, you would think you'd see him in more ads. Yeah, and you see him in a few, but, again, you only see those ads around the sport of NASCAR on TV. You don't see them outside of any other thing. You don't see them in prime time on ESPN or, you know, during, you know, like the Olympics or maybe during a bowl game. You'll see them surrounding the commercials of NASCAR, but you're right. They need to get Jimmy out there. I mean, the other litmus test here, and, and I've tried this with a few people, wow, Jimmy Johnson, amazing. Oh, Jimmy Johnson, the football coach. You mean the guy who's on broadcast? Oh, the guy who coached the Cowboys. You mentioned Jimmy Johnson. That's who most people think you're talking about. They still don't even know who Jimmy Johnson, sprint comp champion, and and a guy who's dominated NASCAR is. I mean, that's amazing to me. You're right. And listen, if the Yankees or the Lakers or the Patriots win four straight titles— People are talking about them. Hey, you know, they're the team of the century. You know, it's, it's the sport team. They're the ones that everybody knows. Jimmy's won four consecutive chase for the Cups. You don't see that happening in that sport. And you're right. Nobody knows who he is. He wins a fifth one, which is very possible. You're really going to have to start questioning NASCAR and be like, listen, you have somebody that's special, and you're not even doing a thing with him. It's honestly I've already a got a question NASCAR okay. for a million other things, but that's another topic altogether. So let me ask you this. Just to our lay person that's listening to this show. Jimmy Johnson races in the same garage as Dale Earnhardt Jr. and Jeff Gordon. Same people, same team. Is Jimmy Johnson that much better of a driver than Jeff Gordon and Dale Earnhardt and anyone else because he's won four in a row? Or what is he doing that's given him four titles in a row? You know, I really think it comes down to his team and his crew chief. I think Chad Knauss is the difference there. Because, listen, Jeff Gordon and Junior are head and shoulders above everybody else when it comes to driving. 
But the thing is, is I think Jimmy is the best closer in the sport. You know, listen, he doesn't have to win a lot of races. He just has to be there when the when the chase for the cup starts, and that's all that matters. All right, so we'll follow this story. NASCAR is going to be real interesting to follow this year because they may lose sponsors at races. Their TV ratings were way down this year, and, uh, you know, they're moving more and more towards being a fringe sport, and it looked a few years ago like they were about to move into the, you know, upper echelons of the, the various sports leagues. All right, our sixth biggest story of the year, 2009. The New York Yankees win their 27th World Championship. Again, last week we talked about the Steelers winning, the Lakers winning this year. The Yankees spent more money on payroll than any other team in sports. $201 million. Try this on for size. That's an expensive trophy. It's an expensive trophy. But try this on for size. Between Alex Rodriguez, Derek Jeter, and CeCe Sabathia, the Yankees have invested $600 million in those three players. If you don't win a championship, it is a complete and utter failure. They had invested almost $1.3 billion over the last nine years from the last time they won a championship. So, you know, you would say if you spend $201 million, you better win it. They spent $50 million more than anyone else in baseball this year. But let's look at the result. They spent two hundred one. They opened a new stadium with more revenues coming in, and they went out, and they won the championship. Mission accomplished. Well, I, I, I think they're going to have to prove themselves to be the dynasty that the Yankees were 10 years ago in order to pay that kind of money off. I mean, this is one championship. Look at how long it took for that combination of players, minus Sabathia, but with A-Rod on the team and Derek Jeter to win this championship. I think you're a long way from being able to say, great return on investment. You've got to win another two, three more. You have to become a dynasty with that kind of money thrown around. But when you open a new stadium and you spend that kind of money to kick it off in year one and win the championship and, you know, open your venue to pretty positive returns, I mean, you know, obstructed seats and high ticket prices aside, I think people who went to a Yankees game this year had a pretty good experience. So obviously the Yankees will be an organization to watch in the future. Our fifth biggest story of the year, 2009, the growth of social media in sports. You know, we've talked about the growth of the Internet, but we did a show this year on the growth of social media. This was the year that social media jumped the shark in sports. This is the year where we saw Facebook and Twitter become mainstream. It wasn't so odd to be someone on Facebook and Twitter. I'll use myself as an example. You know, I did not. You guys told me at the end of last year, you got to get on Twitter. You got to get on Facebook. Josh Blank, my business partner on Sports Business Radio, who handles our website and our technical stuff. You got to get on Facebook and Twitter. I did. And I'll tell you, I saw some immediate results. And it's a great way to communicate with our audience. And the thing that was interesting to watch in sports this year is how some different stories broke related to sports and social media. Let me give you a few examples. Number one, Kevin Love plays for the Minnesota Timberwolves. He broke the story, not a newspaper reporter, not a radio reporter, not a TV reporter. Kevin Love, a player on the team, tweeted that Kevin McHale, the then coach and general manager 
of the Minnesota Timberwolves had been fired. He broke news. That was really the first time that a player kind of broke ranks, said, I'm becoming PR guy on this team, and he broke news that a personnel change had been made within an organization. Tons of people started following Kevin Love on Twitter, and it was, again, it was kind of a, a watershed moment in sports with social media. Well, I, go ahead, Bobby. No, I completely agree, but it was the first time, really, that the major media that, you know, traditionally is the ones that break it, legitimately now have to start following these because, like you said, Kevin Love broke it, and it was a solid story for two days without actual confirmation, but... You know, you're right. He was the one to really kind of unravel the whole package. Well, the lines have really been drawn at this point, uh, or blurred, I should say, between social media and, and quote-unquote, the media. I mean, bloggers, Twitter accounts, people with Facebook. I mean, they're as much of journalists anymore as the New York Post. I mean, people who are following other people who can break news faster than you can get it online, that's the new form of journalism. It really is. I mean, you can break it so much faster on Twitter with just a quick sentence, I mean, you get 140 characters. And if you don't have time to write at your blog, get something on the Internet, get on the air on TV or radio, you just send it out to your Twitter following. And not only are your followers getting it, but it's being retweeted. And, you know, it travels instantaneously. So it's become an amazing broadcast format. Another incident, Michael Beasley plays for the Miami Heat. He made some suicidal comments on his Twitter account. And lo and behold, you know, he kind of disappears and had to go into rehab and and things of that nature. So that was kind of dramatic. Antonio Cromartie plays for the San Diego Chargers during training camp. He tweets about how bad the food is at training camp. He gets fined $2,500 by the Chargers. And then Larry Johnson, who played for the Kansas City Chiefs, made some slurs on his account, and a week or two later, he finds himself on the waiver wire because the Chiefs weren't going to put up with that. So, you know, there are people that have made comments that have gotten them fired. There have been people who have made comments that have broken news. But I think what we've learned is in the future, just my personal opinion, some people I get asked this question all the time, is Twitter and Facebook, is it just a fad? Is it going to go away? I don't think it's going to go away anytime soon. I'm not going to sit here and say that 10 years from now it's going to be the norm and it's going to be as popular as it is now. There'll probably be something even more popular. But for right now, you know, I think in 2010 it's only going to grow and become more prevalent. And what teams have learned is, A, my athletes are allowing an access to the fans that they had never given before. Plus, the brands are being promoted even more. So my athlete is promoting his brand more, and my team can get ticket sales information and immediate information out there even quicker. All right, we're down to our top four stories of the year 2009. Those are coming up next. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. When I'm looking for a place to have dinner with family, friends, or business associates, there's only one restaurant on my list. Morton's The Steakhouse, the best steak anywhere. In its 28th year in business, Morton serves only the finest quality foods, featuring USDA prime-age beef, fresh seafood, hand-picked produce, and decadent desserts prepared to perfection. 
not to mention the award-winning wine list. When my destination is Morton's, the best is always on the menu. And they treat me like a VIP during every visit, whether in the dining room or the private boardrooms. With almost 75 restaurants conveniently located around the world, Morton's is the gold standard when it comes to steakhouses. To find the Morton's nearest you or to make a reservation, go online to mortons.com. Morton's, the best steak anywhere and the official steakhouse of Sports Business Radio. This is Sports Business Radio. We are counting down the top 10 sports business stories of the year 2009. We are now at number four. Rio wins the 2016 Olympics. And this story is not so big because the fact that Rio won, it's big because Chicago lost. Many people saw Chicago as the front runner to win the 2016 Olympic Games. President Obama went to Copenhagen. A lot of dignitaries, a lot of money spent Oprah. by the organizing committee in Chicago. Oprah went. And Chicago didn't even make it out of the first round of voting for the finals. So they were eliminated right away, and that was a shock. I mean, people in Chicago were shocked. A lot of people around the world were shocked that Chicago was eliminated that quickly. But when you peel back the layers, you see that obviously the IOC was not very happy with the USOC, and there's a lot of people at the USOC who, frankly, uh, really overestimated their chances for winning this thing, and it's led to some pretty wholesale changes, and I think we'll continue to see more changes made to the staff at the USOC if they ever want to have a chance of winning another bid. Well, yeah, and Chicago has lost so much money because of this. I mean, the Olympics just brings in millions and millions and millions of dollars to a city. So this is a real blow for Chicago, real blow for the U.S., frankly, because of tourism, but Chicago really got hit. All right, our third biggest story of the year, 2009. This is one we've seen before. Steroids in Major League Baseball. Two big stories as they relate to very, very high-name, high-profile players. First, Alex Rodriguez, a Sports Illustrated story, outed him, linking him to steroids in 2003. Now, Alex Rodriguez tried to downplay this. He tried to deny it, but then eventually he couldn't deny it anymore. He sat down with Peter Gammons and... I thought a, a pretty poor interview. Peter Gammons did a good job, but A-Rod you know, deflected questions. And some people even said Gammons could have asked him tougher follow-up questions. But it led to a press conference where he didn't really tell us much, but he told us enough that it kind of got the media off his back. And then, lo and behold, Alex Rodriguez has a pretty darn good season after he comes back from injury, and he gets the monkey off his back, and he wins his first title. So... Again, just like we've talked with Kobe Bryant, potentially with Tiger Woods, if you have problems off the field, even if you're a cheater, if you're a champion, people are going to overlook your problems off the field. And the Yankee fans, after A-Rod came through with some clutch performances in the playoffs, they love him. He's a champion. He's one of them now. He's going to rest in the, you know, he's never going to be Derek Jeter or Mariano Rivera or anyone like that, but you know, I think he got the monkey off his back. He got his first ring, and he kind of needed to do that because in the early stages of the season, 
he had a lot of pressure on him. Now, the other guy who was suspended 50 games by Major League Baseball, which, by the way, I thought was a, a nothing suspension, was Manny Ramirez, Los Angeles Dodgers. So Manny Ramirez signs a two-year, $50 million contract with the Dodgers before the season began. And that was long and drawn out and dramatic. And then, lo and behold, not too far into the season, it's revealed that Manny had been using steroids. Now, these are two high-profile players, Nathan, and another black eye for baseball. Yeah, well, look at A-Rod, though, again. Alex Rodriguez comes out and admits it, and people, even if they hadn't won the World Series, people had already stopped kind of talking about Alex Rodriguez and steroids. They'd moved beyond. They'd moved to something else. So it just goes to show you yet again, you fall on the sword, sort of, in A-Rod's position. You you come out much cleaner than you will if you deny and you die. Look at Roger Clemens still fighting that battle. Well, the other thing it did is a side note is Selena Roberts wrote her tell-all book about A-Rod. And after he came out with this press conference and after the story came out, the book didn't sell very well. And, you know, it kind of took the the wind out of the sails of the book because the story was kind of already out there. So you didn't need to read the book to get the the details. It was out there. It was in every major newspaper and, you know, online everywhere. So, you know, that was an interesting side note. But, again, Major League Baseball – Two big stars, and, and it got to a point, and this is the point I'm at now, I can pretty much learn that anyone outside of Greg Maddox used steroids in the last 20 years, and I wouldn't be surprised. Greg Maddox, I'd be very surprised. Anyone other than that in the last 20 years, you can mention any player, I wouldn't be surprised. I can, I'm trying to come up with someone to counter that, but I, I don't even have anybody. Well, that brings us to our second biggest story of the year, 2009. And this was a big story in 2008, and it's going to be a big story in 2010. And it's a very broad story. The poor economy impacts sports events, leagues, and teams. Across the board, before Major League Baseball season started, before the NFL season started, before the NBA season started, the commissioners of those leagues warned the owners, the teams, even the fans, numbers are going to be down substantially and they have been. If you turn on the TV and you watch NBA games, there's a handful of teams that sell out. The rest of the teams, a lot of empty seats. Major League Baseball, a lot of empty seats. Biggest decline in attendance from the previous season to this season in the last 20 years. And then in the NFL, a league where we always see sellouts, we've seen a lot of non-sellouts, and that means that games are blacked out in the local markets. That used to be something that never happened. We've seen it happen more and more this year. Golf tournaments, tennis tournaments, the list goes on and on, have lost sponsors. They've had to cancel tournaments. You know, looking ahead at the PGA Tour, they have 10, 11 tournaments that are going to need sponsors, title sponsors, or they may go under. The LPGA has lost Sponsorship. So this list goes on and on of big companies that used to put money behind sports leagues, behind events, behind athletes, and they just don't have that money anymore or they're not willing to invest it anymore because they've had budget cuts, and it's going to be a big story again in 2010. Well, the flip side is we're talking about ratings. Ratings are through the roof right now across a lot of sports, NASCAR not being one of them, but we just talked last week about Super Bowl ratings, football ratings. They're up. They're up because people 
are not at the game watching it. They're up because people are at home watching the game. But even the TV networks are feeling the hit. The that these yeah. com- I mean, this will be the second year in a row, probably, where we don't see an American car company run an ad in the Super Bowl. Every year we used to see GM and American car companies be prominent within Super Bowl ads. That's not the case this year. There's a lot of other companies that are going to look long and hard at whether or not to place an ad in the Super Bowl. We may see the price of a 30-second spot drop this year for the first time in years because the economy has turned. All right. Our top story of the year 2009. Drumroll. And as I said before, if I was voting for the top story of the decade, sports business-wise, this would probably be my top story. That is shocking to me. The fall of Eldrick Tiger Woods. And here are the reasons I say this is such an enormous story. Number one, Tiger Woods is the first billion-dollar athlete in the history of sports. Number two, Tiger Woods makes $100 million a year in prize money, but mostly in endorsements. He has companies like Nike. He has companies like Tag Heuer, Gillette, AT&T, EA Sports, Accenture, until recently, that have tied their brands to his brand and said, look, you've got a squeaky clean image, you're a champion, you're the world's best golfer, you're a wholesome figure, carry our brand. Catapult our brand to the stratosphere where your brand is. And not only has that brand been damaged, it has been dragged through the mud like most of us could have never imagined. Not only that, but... What's going to happen to the sport of golf? What's going to happen to the PGA Tour? What's going to happen to the many tournaments who rely on Tiger Woods playing in their event for good attendance, good TV ratings? What's going to happen at the end of 2010 when we look back and we say, okay, we're renegotiating TV contracts? So many things are affected by the man who I believe has had a bigger impact on his sport than any other athlete on their sport. Tiger Woods is more important to the game of golf than any other athlete is to their sport. More important than LeBron James or Kobe Bryant is to the NBA. More important than Derek Jeter is to Major League Baseball. More important than Tom Brady or Peyton Manning are to the NFL. This is a guy who literally carried a sport on his back, and we're watching him crumble before our eyes. Do I think he'll make a return to prominence in a few years? Yes, probably. Will Nike and EA Sports and others stick with him? Yes, they will. But he's going to have a tough road back, and golf and all the people that have tied their brands to him are going to have a real tough road back as well. Here, I don't disagree that this should be the number one sports business story of the year. What I do disagree with is you talk about being the number one story of the decade. You talk about his fall from grace. Tiger Woods hasn't fallen anywhere, really. He lost Accenture. We don't know who else he might lose in the next couple months or even in the next year. What we do know, let's compare him for just a second to Michael Vick. Not his actions, but his fall from grace. Michael Vick, also a $100 million athlete, went to jail. But not a billion dollar Not a billion, but he went to jail. He lost everything. He lost all of his sponsors. He came out of jail. He signs a million-dollar contract. Tiger Woods cheats on his wife. He's still a billion-dollar athlete. He's not going to jail. He's going to be playing golf again. Nike's all but said they're not going to cut ties with him. Gatorade's not going to cut ties with him. So he's still at the top of not only his athletic stance, but his sponsorships for the most part. Look, we talked about this on our show a lot. We're both PR guys. If Tiger had just come out and said, I made mistakes, he fell on the sword, 
He got out in front of this like other people have, including David Letterman. I think this would be a totally different story, and it'd be more of a non-story. And people would say, look, he's still a great golfer. He's not taking any time off. Okay, he's going to lose a sponsor or two, but he's still going to be a champion. And again, many people will support champions. They don't care what you're doing in your personal life. That has not been how this has been handled. It's been just a, a comedy of errors, frankly. And it's become more and more. I mean, when you're on the front page of the New York Post every day for almost three weeks, that's unheard of. And this is a story that's not just a sports story. It's an entertainment story. It's on TMZ. It's on Entertainment Tonight. It's on Nancy Grace. It's on all the. It's on CNN. Larry King, Anderson Cooper, Fox News. And then you've got investigative reporters digging up dirt because you don't hear from Tiger very often except for on his website, so they're digging up more and more dirt. So this guy was a guy that we all thought was something, and it turns out he's something very different. He's still an incredible golfer, probably, but again, these brands don't pay $100 million a year to tie their brand to just a good golfer. They tie their brand to someone who they thought was wholesome, who was going to sell products, who you could hang his picture in your store or on your product, and that's what you were going to get. And then you see that he's something very, very different. He's turned women off around this country. And many women make decisions on purchasing product. So it'll be very interesting to see how this turns out. It's going to be a huge story in 2010 as to how this plays out, how soon he returns to golf, uh, how many sponsors drop him, does anyone else drop him, what happens. But it's our top story of the year 2009 here on Sports Business Radio. All right, we have one more segment, and in our next segment, we're going to give you some stories that we think will be huge stories in the year 2010. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. I'll be right back. It's been a long week. I've got a slow leak. This is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. Every championship team has one thing in common, good coaching. And I want to be your coach, your media coach. When I'm not hosting Sports Business Radio, I team with former Nike PR director Lee Weinstein to form New School Media Coaching. New School Media Coaching uses a fresh and interactive approach for educating our clients about dealing with today's media landscape. Whether you're an athlete, a coach, or a front office executive in the sports or business world, we'll prepare you for communications with the masses in today's social media world where everything is on the record. And just like any good coach, we'll help you practice your new skills and we'll be there to provide constructive feedback every step of the way. With a combined 40 years of experience, we're veteran coaches, but we use a new school approach. For an overview and a list of our services, visit newschoolmediacoaching.wordpress.com or email me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. We are back, and you can find our top 20 sports business stories of the year 2009 on our website, on the blog and text form. And via podcast, our last two shows at sportsbusinessradio.com. All right, stories to keep your eye on in 2010. Things that we think are going to be major, major news in the sports business realm. Number one, obviously, 
the Tiger Woods story. How does this play out? When does he return to the course? What happens with him? What happens with his sponsors? What happens with the PGA Tour? All these things are going to be big stories in 2010. Something else. This summer is the summer many NBA fans are going to keep a very close eye on. LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh, and many others become free agents. Do they stay where they are now? Do they move to other teams? The balance of power in the NBA could change, and that's going to be very interesting to watch. The PGA and LPGA, are they going to lose sponsors? The PGA and LPGA have many tournaments that are looking for new sponsors. How is that going to play out? That's going to be big. One that I'm going to be keeping my eye on, too, the McCourts, the owners of the Los Angeles Dodgers. They're going through a nasty divorce. Is that going to lead to them having to sell the team? Is Frank going to buy Jamie out? Is Jamie going to buy Frank out? Is this going to be a repeat of what happened with the Moores family, I believe, in San Diego with the Padres, where neither one could afford to buy the other one out, so they had to sell the team? Will the Dodgers, an iconic team, be up for sale? These are all stories that I think are going to be very, very big stories. And then, last but not least, the labor situations in the NFL and in the NFL, the NFL and the NBA, I mean, um, how are those going to play out? Because those conversations are going to really shape how we watch those two sports leagues. Well, I think I'm really going to keep my eye on this Tiger Woods situation. I've been glued to it since it broke, and uh, it'll be interesting to see if he's able to bounce back like some of the other athletes that we just mentioned in our top 20 sports business stories. All right, lots of thank yous. Our show staff, Nathan Roach, Bobby Corser, Josh Blank, Darren Peck, Ron Barr, James Harris, and Doug Zanger, our sponsors. The Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. Morton's The Steakhouse and New School Media Coaching. A podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand via podcast every week. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com, click on the podcast page. Follow me on Twitter, at SB Radio. I'm Brian Berger. Have a happy new year, and we'll talk to you next week right here on Sports Business Radio. Greg Oden of the Portland Trailblazers supports the Ronald McDonald Houses. I'm a big fan of the houses, happy to help them make a difference. He helps because he believes every hospitalized child should be near their family in tough times. And everyone can support this home away from home. When you purchase a McCafe Espresso drink or premium roast coffee, McDonald's donates a portion of proceeds to Ronald McDonald House charities in Oregon and Southwest Washington. At participating McDonald's for a limited time. A little change can make a big difference. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Robert Sarver, the owner of the Phoenix Suns. When people come to a Suns game, what kind of an experience do you want it to be for them? We want them to be entertained from the time they walk in to the time they leave. The co-owner of the Sacramento Kings, Gavin Malouf. Gavin, thanks for joining me. My pleasure, Brian. How are you? Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. Sports Business Radio. That's why you're a smart business person. (laughs) Or at sportsbusinessradio.com. 